always loved watching people talking and chatting. Happy Resurrection Day, right? Yes, that's right. Is it Mary Resurrection? Happy? I can never get them all straight, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is John Graves. I, I know most of you. Um, I have a privilege here, thank you, Pastor Ben, to speak with you here on this glorious uh, Easter Sunday for 2019. And I want to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have uh, given us opportunity to come and remember this incredible day, this time in history where we can remember what happened 2,000 years ago as you resurrected from the grave to prove your words. You said that they would destroy the temple, your body, and in three days you would rise it up again as a sign to show that all your words were true. And when you tell us in your words you're the way, the truth, and the life, and when you tell us that you're coming back soon, we can know for a fact that that's hap- going to happen, and it has happened. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We can remember these things. Please allow us to have attentive hearts and be able to hear your word today. Jesus, now I pray. Amen. So I recognize most people here, but not everyone. And I would be uh, not surprised if there are people here that were dragged here. Uh, you know, you had friends that said, oh, come on, come to church with me on Easter. And other, All right, I'll go. And there's others that have come because you just want to hear a bit about what happened 2,000 years ago and those things. So there's really, when I, when I think about a group of people, did you know there's two different types of people out there? Oh, sorry. Two different <laughs> types of people in the group right here. One are people who have been born once. And one group that has been born twice. And it behooves me that even though my main focus today is going to be on those in the second category, I want to make sure I talk to those in the first category first. So I'm going to give you a little bit of warning. We're going to talk for a few minutes, and then I'm going to pray, and you're going to say, wow, that was an incredibly short message. Yay, we can go hide Easter eggs and have fun. I just wanted to warn you, I'm going to continue <laughs> and talk a little bit more and then have another prayer. So I didn't want you to deceive you, right? So I want to talk mainly to the first group because we have a beautiful passage that Pastor Ben talked over on, third, or on Friday, if you guys were here on Friday, we're going to get a little bit of a recap on that, where Jesus himself gets to answer some of these questions for us, and we get to spy in, we get to listen in on Jesus talking to somebody, and it's found in John chapter 3. My name is John. I like to introduce myself to people as John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, but to be truthful, any, anyone, everyone is someone Jesus loved. So you could introduce yourself that way as well. But being John, of course, I love the book of John. And uh, you can turn with chapter, chapter 3 there. Chapter 3 of John, verse 1, it says, There is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, the Pharisees, for those of you who don't know, they're the religious elite. So imagine the most religious person you can imagine in your mind, the person who goes to church every day, all this. He's the guy we're talking about. This is not some, you know, crazy lost person that doesn't know anything about godly things. He is a, the most religious person you can imagine coming to Jesus Christ. It says there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a ruler, not only 
very knowledgeable about God's word, but he was a ruler. He was a, a leader of the Jews. And in verse 2, it says, a man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? Because he didn't want his friends to see him. You see, the religious people didn't want to believe in Jesus because Jesus said he is the way to God. And the religious people like to say, well, you guys have to go to me to talk to God. They like this power kind of thing. And Jesus was not fitting the mold that they wanted. And so Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was a bit concerned that somebody might see him. And that's, Jesus didn't say, why didn't you talk to me in the day in front of everybody else? Jesus just listens to him. He's like, he, anytime you want to come to Jesus, he's there ready, waiting for you. It's great. So he comes and it says, Rabbi, he tells Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, why, thank you very much for noticing how wonderful I am, all the signs and wonders that I've done. Oh, you guys are reading, right? I, I like to make sure that you're reading along with me. So I test you occasionally. It's not what Jesus says. Is it? He didn't even acknowledge that um, that praise that this person put on to Jesus because he knew the root of the issue. This guy came to Jesus and he said, you're a teacher and we know you're from God, but he hasn't figured something out. He hasn't figured, that Jesus, figured out that Jesus is God yet. And so Jesus doesn't acknowledge the, the praise. He just goes right to him and said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, that's that second time, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which is being saved, going to heaven. He said, unless you've been born again, and what does Nicodemus say? What you probably said when I first said those words, born again, what, I go back in my mother's womb? What, what's that all about? That's what Nicodemus asked in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? He, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you. When Jesus says that, the term is verily, verily. It means I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't, we have a few kids in here, but let me just explain that when you're born from your mom, you're surrounded by water. <laughs> I don't want to get into too much detail in case the kids are. And, and, you know, there's this idea that the water breaks and the birth happens. Born from water is what Jesus is talking about there. He says one has to be born of water and of the Spirit. So there's, a, there's another birth, but it's not like the first. You don't go back to the mother's womb. There's a second birth to get to the kingdom of God. And verse 6, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Makes sense, right? Do not marvel, he tells us in verse 7, that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it, w where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from. And where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus said, you see the physical, you see somebody's born, they're born. You see the baby. When someone is born of the Spirit, you don't really understand how all that works, but you can see the evidence of that. You can begin to recognize that something's different, that something is alive in them that was once dead. He says, you don't know where the wind blows, but you see the, the leaves on the trees move. You see the effects and he said, when you are born again, you'll see the effects, just like being born of the flesh. And Nicodemus throws up his hands and answers and says, how can these things be? And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Now, I often wonder about the tone, right? Because you don't get the tone in this. He's saying, ah, Nicodemus, are you, are you a ruler? I can't believe you don't know this stuff. No, I don't think so. 
But he's saying, come on, Nicodemus, this is important. And you've studied the scriptures and you haven't quite got it yet. You religious person. You and I wonder how many of us religious people haven't gotten it, haven't figured it out. As Jesus might come to me and say, have you been a, a, a reader of the scripture so long? You don't know these things? Help me. I'll help you to understand. Because he says in verse 11, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses is lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, warned him. He said, now I'm going to tell you earthly things. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to believe the spiritual things. And then he points them back to something that happened in the Old Testament in uh, Numbers chapter 21, which Pastor Ben covered on Friday. We won't go into it in detail. Let me just pray, paraphrase it for you. The children of Israel are coming along, and they're in the wilderness. They're sinning. They're complaining. And God sends snakes into the camp, and the snakes begin to bite the children of Israel, and they begin to die. And so they cry out to Moses and say, we've sinned. I'm sorry. Please ask God to take away the snakes. Now, snakes were symbolic of sin. Think about the Garden of Eden. When Eve was there and near the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what came? A snake and tempted her. And what did he say? Did God really say, do you really want to believe God? Don't believe God. Believe me. And what did she do? She believed the serpent. She believed Satan instead of God, and she ate of that fruit. So here's serpents representing sin. Moses prays to God, please take away these snakes. You know what God does? He doesn't take away the snakes. He gives them a solution for the snakes. The snakes bite them, and they die. He said, you're going to get bitten, but I'll give you a way to not die. All you have to do, Moses, take a serpent, put it up on a pole, a brass serpent. Brass is symbolic in the, in the Bible of judgment, serpent of sin, judgment of sin. It's up on the pole, and all you have to do is when you get bitten, look up there, and you'll be healed. And how many people do you think... <laughs> I did this uh, talk at camp one time, and I, I scattered some snakes in the audience, and these people went up there, oh, you know, the kids were all scared, whoa, there's snakes. And we had a little picture of a pole, and some of them looked, and some of them didn't. And it was sad to see the kids say, don't look at it, you know, they wanted their camp leaders to die. You know? But uh, you know, we, we had this idea. And, and how many people said, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense, no scientific sense, that I could look at a pole. However, if they believed, God, they were healed. The Bible says they were healed if they looked. And Jesus tells Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, I'm going to tell you an earthly thing. I'm going to remind you of an earthly event. And now I'm going to tell you spiritual things. He said, just like that, the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be lifted up like that serpent on a pole. But if that's, in our case, it's the cross. And he says, if you look on that, that bite, that is sin, that is captured us from birth, that we're sinners, we've messed up, we've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, 
we fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. If we look at that, we'll be saved. And we all ask, are you going to believe? No, oh, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. What Jesus says next is quite amazing. He says, you know what? It's so simple, but there's going to be people that are not going to believe. And let me explain why. Because he continues on. Of course, some of the verses that are most common that you've heard in the scripture there talks about in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest the de his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. He says, you know why people are going to say no? It's silly. It's dumb. Because they like their, their evil. They like being in sin. They don't want the forgiveness. I pray so hard for anyone here that has not been born again. It's so simple. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize that he died for us even while we were sinners, not when we were at our best? And we're told that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can receive eternal life. So I'm going to pray right now, if everybody could close their eyes and bow their heads. Lord, I pray that if anyone here has not been born again, you'd pierce their hearts with the truth that they could accept you. And, and if there is someone here and you, you want to be born again, you want the spirit alive, you want to believe, oh, help my unbelief, one person said to Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer, and I pray that you can pray along with me just in the silence of your own heart. And just mean the words, and, and that's all it takes is just to confess these things. Jesus, I... I realize that I am a sinner. I've been bitten by the snake. I am lost without you. I am destined to die. Born once and I'm going to die. My spirit is not alive. But I also know that you have died on a cross to pay that penalty. And then if I look at that cross, that that penalty of death is gone. Oh, the sin is still there. and We have issues within this world, but the penalty is paid and I can be with you in heaven forever. So right now, I accept that free gift that you offer to me today. I look upon the cross, and I, I believe that you will save me and that I can spend eternity with you. Please come into my heart, rule my life, be the Lord of my life, and save me and let me be, live eternally with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I pray that if there is anybody here that was only born once, we now have one group of people here, the people that have been born again. Because now I want to talk to those people, which I hope is the entire group. As we turn to the left a couple of pages, to Luke chapter 24. 
Luke chapter 24. The chapter starts by saying, now on the first day of the week. This is Easter Sunday. This is the first day of the week. They are getting up early. This is this time almost 2,000 years ago. Okay, So I just want to set the time. The first part of the chapter talks about the women who go to the tomb. They look. They don't see Jesus there. The angels tell them, "He's why are you looking for the uh, living among the dead? He's risen. They go. They tell the disciples. Peter and John race to the tomb. They see these things that happen. And then I want to focus in on verse 13 because I think it's really important for us to understand. So now behold, two of them, two disciples of Jesus, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles, kilometers, and to, from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. So imagine this. These guys, it's very common. You're doing a trek from one city to another. You're going along and you see other people that are traveling. You're just kind of walking along and you see other people and you just go and start talking to them. You're bored. They didn't have iPads for the kids, so you had to talk about something. So they're sitting there going along and just chatting and and you can just see these guys, as you'll see in just a second, they're kind of like this. Going to Emmaus. And Jesus walks along beside them. And they don't recognize him because God allows them to not to see clearly that it's Jesus. So Jesus comes up to them, just kind of, hey, guys. This, that wasn't unusual to join in on a conversation there. He wasn't being rude or anything. So Jesus says to him in verse 17, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are what? What's that three-letter word there? This is resurrection day. They're followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus has risen from the dead. And what are they? Sad. And Jesus comes up to them and says, what are you guys talking about, And why are you sad? That's crazy. And then it tells us, verse 18, Then the one whose name is Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? <laughs> and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Uh, Jesus knew. He was there. He had a first... first uh, uh, front row seat, but he says to them, uh, what things? He wanted to hear what they had to say. What's your perspective of what happened just now? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were, listen to this, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. They said, well, you know, Jesus, we had, we, he's, he's, he's incredible. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Christ. But it didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. 
how many Christians do I know, how many me do I know, that you become a believer and it doesn't quite work out the way you thought it would. Did anybody tell you, oh, if you become a Christian, then all of your problems will go away and everything, I mean, there'll be no more traffic in Sydney. You'll be able to just drive and the nothing, nothing, no problems. It's not true. Matter of fact, the promises say it's the opposite. There'll be more trouble, but there's promises along with that. And so they tell him, oh, we thought he was going to deliver us from the Romans and set up his kingdom. And we're so sad that that didn't happen. And then he said, and then they said, it's been three days. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus just chuckled. He's like, does three days ring a bell? I told you many times, three days, three days, three days. But verse 20, uh, 22, yes. And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they said, yeah, 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 there's rumors of Jesus coming from the dead, but yeah, it's just a... I don't know if I can believe that. Then what does Jesus say to them in verse 25? Oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all the things that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was talking to them and he opened up his Bible and started to expound on the things of himself, it says the scriptures there. Do you think he went to the book of John maybe? Book of Acts, maybe he talked about some of Paul's letters in Romans. You, you realize that the New Testament had not been written yet, right? What scriptures is he talking about? He says, from Moses, that, that's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and through the prophets, and later he even mentions the Psalms, all talk about Jesus and what was going to happen. He said, you're foolish and you're slow of heart. He said, you should have known. When you study, do you believe the words? Christ must come and suffer, but you missed it. And what was the result of them missing it? Well, we thought it was going to, it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. Then they drew near, verse 28 says, to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Jesus is a gentleman. He shared the truth with them, and then he said, okay, you guys, I'm going to keep going. It was dark. He, you normally don't travel at dark. It was dangerous to do that. Of course, it's Jesus. He's God. He's, he's okay. So he's going, and they said, oh, wh why do you keep going? Well, that's all right, and they invited him. That's important, to invite Jesus in because they wanted to know more. Their hearts burned to know more about this, what he was talking about. Can you, I would love to have the, the notes of Jesus' teaching there. Of course, that's part of our job is to study the scriptures ourselves as well and find these things. 
But he did. He went to stay with them. And verse 30 says, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So we don't know. It doesn't say specifically why the breaking of the bread as he he says the prayer and he breaks the bread. Did they see the scars in his hand? Did they just recognize the way that he said things? Did they suddenly see his eyes and say, hey, <laughs> that's Jesus. I wonder if the bread dropped. You know, <laughs> he disappears. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just hang out with them anymore? It's because he wanted them to see it and then, okay, now I'm going to let you kind of work on that a little bit. And God loves to do that. He like, reveals things to us. And then he's like, I'm just going to let you kind of hang out and do these things. Because he wanted to know what their reaction is going to be. Jesus is now gone. What are they going to do? It tells us what they do. They said to one another, uh, sorry, um, yep, they said to one another, verse 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. It doesn't say. It was nighttime. It's time to get tucked into bed. And they get a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm going to get a bit. No, they didn't. What do they do? They go back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night when it's dangerous to travel. They're, I don't care. And they, do you think they're, oh, let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's tell everybody. No. <laughs> they're, they're running. They're, oh, can you believe, remember when he said this? And, and, and to, when he was Psalm 22, and why didn't we catch that? And, oh, I, oh, he said we were foolish, but we were foolish. Okay, I, but yeah, he goes. And then they go to the disciples, and he, they start telling them how wonderful it is. And what do you think the disciples' reaction were? Yeah. Yeah, we, we heard that from the women, too. Yeah, I don't know about that. He really should have come to me first. I don't, yeah. I don't know. But it seems that Jesus needed to deal with them as well. Verse 36. Now, as they said these things, while they're telling them, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Shalom Aleichem, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They're like, this can't be real. He's got to be a ghost. And so he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? So two other aspects of them not understanding. Not only were they, they had no joy, but they were troubled. They were fearful. It says, behold, my hands and my feet, that it is, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But why? But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, okay, uh, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he tells them in verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem and ending in Australia. Or, you know, just added that there. Verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed, endued with the power from on high. What a beautiful thing. Jesus tells them, why are you not believing? Why are you troubled? Why? Why? You have all this information that I've given you. I don't treat you like servants. I treat you like friends. And a friend knows what the master is about and what his business is. So I ask you, did you come here today like the guys in Road to Emmaus? <sighs> Happy Easter. Yeah, I got some health issues, and my bank account's not where it should be, and oh, the government's not very good, and the world's going around. You know, this is not the way it should be. Oh, boy. It's so easy to get trapped in that, isn't it? And there's two things that really help us. One is to understand the big picture. My little issues become so small when I see the big picture. When Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. In this world, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome this world. That you can have joy in the tribulation. You can have my strength, not by your strength. I can give you all these things. Knowing these things help us when we know this is not everything. This is as bad as it gets for you, believer. Do you know that? It's as bad as it gets. It only gets uphill. Up, it's always better. Uphill sounds like it works. It's, it gets better from here. And we can have joy even in the difficulty. But there's a second reason, not just knowing the word and knowing the big picture, that helps us have joy on Easter morning and knowing that Jesus is alive. There's a second one, and we're going to close there in John chapter 20. So if you go to the right a little bit. Again, another account of the first day of the week. And it talks about how Peter and John went and saw the tomb as it was. And then we pick up in verse 11. Uh, we see a lady named Mary Magdalene. Mary was a bad girl, lots of issues in her life. And Jesus had an amazing impact on her life. And she was completely changed. And she goes to the tomb, and look what it says in verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. This is resurrection day. What was she? she happy or sad? Sad. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus lay. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, to me, if I saw two angels and they asked me that, I'd say, wow, angels. <laughs> she was so intense on finding Jesus that even angels sitting there talking to her didn't even phase her. They asked her, what are you, what are you looking for? Why are you, why are you crying? I'm looking for, now notice a little tiny word you may have missed there in verse 13. 
She said to them, because they have taken away what? What's that little word there? M-I-M-Y. My Lord. One of the biggest problems we have as Christians is we miss that word. She didn't say the Lord. She says my Lord. The difference between religion and seeking after God and all those things and Christianity, true Christianity, is my Lord. When we get to a point where we just, Jesus is my Lord, the whole ball game changes. Everything changes. And she says, I'm looking for my Lord. And she's sorrowful because she doesn't know where they are. It says, they've taken him away, and, and I don't know where they laid him. Verse 14, she says, and, and, when, and when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Maybe her eyes were hidden. Maybe it was because of the tears in her eyes. And Jesus said to her, woman, that was a, not a bad thing, it was just woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be a gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Very personal. And then she turned and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And she, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary, and Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So she's sad. She turns. There's Jesus. He, she doesn't recognize him. He speaks to her, which is important to understand. She still doesn't recognize him until he says her name, Mary. And then she recognizes him. And that's, again, that personal relationship that so many Christians, I mean, if he, you know, the, the Bible talks about the church in Ephesus that had lost their first love. They were doing everything right, according to the Bible. They're doing everything right, but they lost something. Their first love of Jesus Christ, that personal relationship where Jesus is my Lord, and Jesus would come and say, John, when I'm weeping, or I'm hurting, and I turn to Jesus, help me. And the comfort that comes, knowing that personal relationship is unbelievable. And so many Christians just miss it, that personal relationship that Mary had, even here as she says this. And, and Jesus, I find this funny. I've, seen, I've heard sermons on this verse where it says, do not cling to me. They said, oh, well, Jesus' body was, uh, you know, don't touch him until he goes into sins and all weird stuff. It's like, well, I just read that he went to the midst of the people and said, touch me. It wasn't like that at all. What happened? This is how I picture it. Have you ever, have you ever uh, given somebody a hug? There's this, there's this unspoken rule, right? It's like three-second rule, or like one, two, three, and then you, you break. One, two, three, break. Have you ever had somebody who gives you a hug and, and doesn't quite let go at that time, and, and then you kind of let go, and then there's this awkward moment where you're like, because there's this rule, right? Try that sometime. Next time you give somebody a hug, just hug them and don't, don't let go. Just See how they react. This is what was happening. I, I see her just grabbing Jesus and holding on to him. And, and Jesus is like, oh, it's good. To, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, 
Mary, come on. You know, I think it was just tenderness. Stop clinging to me. You need to go. You need to tell people. I need to do this. We'll, we'll have eternity, you know, just clinging to her, clinging to him. And we're missing that, I believe, so many times. There's a song that has been stuck in my head over the past few weeks by a group called Mercy Me. And it was in my wife's car, and my wife has gone for, already gone back to the U.S., and, and so I'm driving her car, and so it's been on, the, on this thing. And I, I just want to read some of the lyrics to you all. I'll save you me singing. I'm not a very good uh, at singing, but... It says, have you ever met those who keep humming when the song is through? It's like they're living life to a whole different tune. Have you ever met those that keep hoping when it is hopeless? It's like they figured out what the rest haven't yet. The second you realize what you have inside, it's just only a matter of time till you Sing so the back row hears you. You glide because walking just won't do. You dance. You don't even have to know how to ever since, ever since grace got you. You laugh until your whole side's hurting. Smile like you just got away with something. Why? Because you just got away with something <laughs> ever since, ever since grace got you. And I think about that and I think, He's got it. Singing, so even Ken and Delita back there can hear me, you know? Even if I can't carry out a tune, just enjoying laughing and loving and, and these things that should be a part of our lives, even when we're going through really hard times. And I might, uh, I might offend a few people. I don't mean to. I can't, today was great, but I cannot understand why this place isn't packed five minutes before Ian strums his first chord. And just praising God and singing out so the back row hears us. We're missing out. And I know, I I grew up in a, a very strict Baptist church. We were only allowed to how great thou art. Oh, I kind of smiled there. That was distracting somebody. Can't do that. And there's, there's a, a point there. And then there's extremes where dancing and people are rolling on the floors and barking like dogs and crazy stuff, right? That's wrong. What I love about Calvary is it's this style that says there's a place in the middle. It's okay to sing out off key, and it's okay to raise our hands. It's okay to kind of wiggle a little in our, our area. You're not distracting people. It's okay. And just praise the Lord. Oh, well, I don't really like that style of music. Oh, oh that, that's not my kind of thing. Uh, that's not, uh, you know, I don't like this. Whenever we say those things, what's the focus on? I don't like that. I don't want to. It's not about you. Sorry. It's about him. And the lyrics are so incredible. And we're just able to look at those things and just say the words and, and ponder those words and enjoy those words and we can worship him, I, I do challenge you. I, I struggle with that. I got into Calvary one of the first times, like, oh, there's drums and a guitar, and we're, and, you know, I can't sing. There's a reason why there's not a microphone over there. It's not because we don't have a cable long enough. It's because I can't sing very well. But I love to sing, and I will sing to my, as loud as I can whenever I have an opportunity to sing. I encourage you to have that attitude of loving and praising the Lord when you can. 
and just having not the road to Emmaus, guys. Know the word, know the big picture, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can have joy. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time together that we can just glory and bask in your presence. Sometimes I think we come to church thinking we're doing you a favor or something, earning points with you. The reality is we should be here to just bless you, to sing praises to you, to listen to your teachings because we love you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you so much for that glorious day that you gave over about 2,000 years ago as not only did you die on the cross for our sins, but you rose again from the dead. That you showed us the big picture. That you talked to the guys on the road to Emmaus and said, why, why weren't you waiting for me on the third day? Why weren't you expecting me? And the same could be said for me today, for us today, oftentimes. We fall into the struggles of this world, the heartaches of this world, the troubles of this world, and we forget the big picture, that you're coming back soon, that you're loving us, you care for us. Thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. We do love you. Help us to keep our focus on you and our eyes on you. In Jesus' name I pray.